And I want to open up James chapter 1 this morning. And in it, he gives us some, some openings into this scripture, into how God works in us and how God changes us and how God transforms our lives. And it's for his purpose, his purpose alone. So I want to look at James chapter 1, starting at verse 2. And it begins and reads like this. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I'll stop there and there is a word at that end. It's many kinds. It's just not one type of trial. It's actually many types of trials that you will walk through in your life with God. Just because you're a Christian doesn't absolve you from it. It actually highlights something that God wants to process in you and wants to change you. Going on to verse 3, it says, Because you know that the testing, and everyone say testing, of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete and not lacking anything. Let's pray. Father, this morning we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you that, God, as you, as you give us instructions, as you take your word, Lord, it speaks to all of us. Lord, in different seasons, in different places, God, we pray that this morning that as we speak and as we open up your word, God, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of revelation, God, will be in the midst of us. And God, we will hear from you what you want to speak from your word this morning. And Lord, I pray that it will be a blessing and I pray that it will speak into my life as well as everyone here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The meaning of a test, simple terms, it's a verb, it can be a noun, but a test is to take, to take a measure to check the quality, performance or reliability of someone or something, especially before putting it to widespread use or practice. That's a test. Testing it's an adjective, is the revealing of a person's capabilities by putting them under strain in a challenging situation. Go back to verse 3, it says, the testing of your faith. Faith is something that's been deposited in our lives by God. You see, in all areas of our life, we will be tested. If you grow up in school... For some of it, that's a long time ago. For some of it's only a couple of years ago. But if you remember, you constantly had to go through tests. You did. It's just a fact of life. The teacher would teach you something, then you would go through a test to see whether you would pass the subject. In 2007, I was completing and I was going through some training. I was going through a bachelor in business and there was a subject that I was doing in my first year called Introduction to Management. And I remember going through the subject, and the subject had two assignments in it and one exam at the end. The assignments were weighted, weighted at 40% each, and the exam only accounted for 20%. But there was a glitch in that exam. It was only weighted at 20%, but you had to pass it. You see... 
You could do the assignments really well, but if you failed the test at the end and the exam at the end, you couldn't move on to the next subject. And I was progressing through this subject and I was quite happy with how I was doing because I'd done really well in my assignments. And I began to study for the exam. And sometimes the manual that you use and the ideas that you think you need to study is not always what is expected and what the lecturers point you towards. And so in my ignorance, I call it ignorance, maybe arrogance, I studied all the wrong material. And you walk into the exam room and they put out the exams on the, on the tables and then it comes to the time where you're allowed to look at the questions. They give you five minutes to look at the questions. I open up the questions and to my horror, oh, I haven't studied this stuff. And the dawning realisation suddenly occurred. I'm in deep trouble. Oh dear, what am I going to do? So I sat through that exam. I answered what I could. I walked out of it. And this knowing feeling as I'm driving home going, what on earth have I done? I just spent the last 12 weeks in intense going through this subject. I know that I will fail it. I knew it. I got home two weeks later. I checked on my, what they call it, the portal on the internet. And sure enough, I hadn't passed. I had passed the assignments. And I had passed that subject up until the point of the exam, up until the point of the test. Now, they just wouldn't allow me to go through. They would say, you need to do that again. I only had to get 50%. It was actually, it's 48% they, they marked it to because there's only weighting of 10% on the subject. I only had to pass it. But I, in my arrogance, I hadn't listened. And stubbornness, arrogance, very similar hadn't listened to where the lecturers give pointers on what to study. This may be coming up in the exam. And so we look at exams, we look at tests. It's a part of our lives. We can never, ever get it away, get away from it. It's just who we are. It's just the life today. And I'm sorry, that's just part of life. And sometimes you learn the hard way and sometimes you listen. Sometimes, it's, for me, it takes me a little bit to listen to what is going on for me to understand. And consequently, I have to do, and I've known this in my life, my wife knows this, I'm quite stubborn. And so, tests come along, and they, are, they can be quite, quite painful. It's money. For me, it was money, investment, and I'll just have to go and do it again. You see, in life, God tests us. In life. But do you know that he knows everything about you? See, I was going towards, and I was going for a career, and I was looking, this is where I wanted to go. See, God tests us because he knows everything about us. See, it's a little bit different when God starts to do the testing because he knows my weaknesses. He knows my failings. He knows the areas where I'm stubborn in. And I have been known to be stubborn. So he knows all about that. So the tests that I go through are unique to me. 
and the tests that go, you go through are going to be different. Why? Because you're a different person. You've been brought up a different way. You have a different fingerprint. You have a different personality. It's different for each of us. It's never, ever the same. And I want to take you to one of the tests Jesus took his disciples through. And before I go to Mark chapter 4, I want to talk to you about what he was teaching in this chapter. He had spent this whole chapter talking about sowing seeds. In Mark chapter 4, it begins off with the parable of the sower, where Jesus speaks about a, a farmer going out to sow seeds. And he sows it on full ground. The seed lands on the, on the pathway. Pastor Marty was speaking about this last week. Some fell on the ground, on the, just the normal hard roadway. Some others fell in stony ground. Some others fell in thorny areas, but others fell on good ground. And Jesus continues this message right through this parable. He, then he speaks and continues to speak about sowing, and he, then he speaks about reaping. And then he goes on and he starts to explain about the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. You put it in the ground, it springs up, and it brings so much to the environment. It grows into a big tree. So this is speaking all about faith. And then he brings his disciples in, and this is where we pick up in verse 35, Mark chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus begins his test. So he's been talking about faith, he's been talking about sowing a seed, and this is where it starts. Verse 35, as evening came on the very same day that Jesus had been speaking about sowing and about faith. Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. That word there, that word that he was speaking, let's cross to the other side of the lake, is Jesus speaking to his disciples about faith. He is giving the words of faith for them to hang on to because they are going to the other side of the lake. He has just spoken faith. And they have listened. He has deposited a seed, a mustard seed in the ground of their hearts with this one statement. He goes on, verse 36. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds be behind, although other boats followed. But a fierce storm came up. Waves, high waves were breaking into the boat and began to fill it with water. I want to stop there. And think about some of the disciples that Jesus had called were actually fishermen. They, not all of them, but some of them were seasoned fishermen who had in their past life and not so long ago been in the same place where Jesus was saying, this is where we're going across. They had experienced storms. They had experienced what it was like to be in the midst of storms with the waves crashing Yet in this place, they are terrified. It goes on and Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Have you ever shouted to God, God, what on earth are you doing to me? Maybe I'm alone, but that's some of my conversations that I've had with God. What have you got me in? What is this place that you have me in? 
Very quiet, God's responses. I still yell, though. And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other, even the waves and the wind obey him. Jesus had said, we are going over to the other side. That's my faith. Jesus has just deposited into the, into the, the hearts of those disciples and his faith, the seed fell on the roadway. His faith fell on hard ground. The seed that he had put it up because he said, I'm going to the other side. I can relate to that. I can relate to God speaking and saying, this is where you're going. When you get in the midst of a storm, the first thing you want to go is, beat me up, Scotty. Get me out of here. It's too hot. It's too rough. I want to leave. I want to go. That's their response. I can totally get that. I get how they were feeling. I think it's so relevant. It's 2,000 years ago, but it's so relevant to the storms in life that we face. See, Romans 10, verse 17, so it says, So faith comes by hearing, and what? Hearing the word of God. Jesus had been speaking, and he gave the word of faith. How quickly do we forget when God speaks to us? I think about it. How quickly? See, God always uses something in the natural to describe something that's going on in the spiritual. See, I like to look at Peter's life. The Apostle Peter, he was in that boat with Jesus. He was one of those seasoned fishermen. He was one of those guys that said, get me out of here. He was of no faith. He didn't have faith. I like to look at his life because I see failure in his life. I can relate to his life. I can, I can see when he goes to the cross and he follows Jesus and he denies him three times. I can see failure there. Oh, I can all equate with that. I can see in one breath he says, Jesus asked Peter, who do men say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus turns and speaks to him and says, man didn't reveal to you, but God did. Yet in a couple of verses later, when Jesus is saying, I'm going to go to the cross, he says to Jesus, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're not going to go to the cross. Jesus' words were to him, get behind me, Satan. In two little instances, I see that. I see that in my own life. I see failure. I see the lack of faith. I see when I don't trust God, when God gives me a word and I don't hang on to it. And I start to look around the circumstances and realize I don't really trust God. See, Peter in... 
says in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, verse 6 to 7, he says these words. So be truly glad. There is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. See, I like to look at Peter's life because I can see the failures. I can see how he went through trials. I can see how he actually failed those trials. And God took him through another trial. God took him through until he learnt the lesson. See, I can relate with that. So I look at his life. It says in verse 7, These trials will show your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. I want to speak about the refining of gold and the process that God takes us through in the refinement. It's a painful process, but it's necessary. In Zechariah 13:9, it says, I will bring that group through fire and make them pure. I will refine them like silver purify them like gold they will call on my name and I will answer them I will say these are my people and they will say the Lord is our God do you know that God's refining breaks you breaks your will it drives you to your knees but I want to have a look at this refining process and what it what it looks like in that ancient time. And it hasn't changed much through the centuries since when this was written. You see, a refiner would take gold, something of very high value, and he would place it in, in an instrument called a cru crucible beam. And it was something that would be able to withstand a lot of heat. And I know we use this, I come out of the aluminium, aluminium industry that's where I used to work and we used to have furnaces that we would heat metal up very similar to gold but you would you would put a, a large amount of heat in a vessel that could withstand it and then you would drop the material into it and you would heat it up and the person on that in charge of that furnace would set the temperature they would make sure it got to temperature and the metal would melt and then they would remove the, the impurities off it. It can be a job that you stand back and you don't come very close to it. You stand afar in our time. But in when we're talking about the, when the text was written, this refiner used to be close by where the gold was, where the gold was being heated. You see, the refiner used to stand close by it. It was very dangerous for the refiner to be there they would heat it they would be in control of the fire they would be heating up heating up the vessel that contained the gold in it and they would be increasing the temperature they were in total control of the heat that was being put into the vessel to bring the gold to a place where it could be molded where it would go liquid you see when gold doesn't look pretty 
when it's just dug out the ground. When you get a nugget, I was up in Gympie a couple of months ago and they have a, a museum, a gold museum, and they've got some pictures of some of the big nuggets that they've found in Australia. They don't look pretty. They don't. But they would have to go through a refinement process. And so the refiner would, put the, would have the gold and he was continuing to increase the heat. And the gold would be getting warmer and warmer and then it would get hot and then it would start to soften. But even when it, when it was softening, it didn't have the ability to bring the impurities out of the gold so that the purity could be increased. It had to have the temperature increase so much that the gold would become liquid. So at 1,000 degrees, 1,064 is the, is the melting temperature for 99% pure gold. It gets a little bit less when you were with imperfections. It drops down the temperature. And so the refiner has to be there the whole time watching the gold, waiting until at the right time when the right amount of heat is there so that he could see the slag, see the impurities rise to the surface. He's in control the whole time, the refiner. The gold just doesn't jump out. Have you ever seen gold jump out of a device where it's getting heated up? No, the, the gold had to stay there. I want to emphasize this one point. The refiner is in control the whole time. The whole time. He knows the amount of heat he gets it to. And so when it gets to that liquid form, he reaches in with what they call a very technical term. It's a spoon. Very technical. And he takes away the impurities that are in the gold. Because if he doesn't take away those impurities, when a vessel is poured into, when gold, when liquid gold is poured into a mould and the mould cools down and it's taken out, you see the imperfections. When you look at a mould and you, you pour molten metal into it and if there's an imperfection, it creates a weakness and it begins to leak. So it's necessary for the, the impurities to be removed out of the gold. So when you see the finished product, the imperfections have been removed. And this is why it's so important for the refiner to be there the whole time, to know exactly when the dross, they call it dross, that comes up to the top and they removes it. The whole time. I want to think about that. God speaks to us about him being the refiner. Malachi 3, verse 3. says, He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them 
What if he's purging off the impurities as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness? God, our refiner. The testing of your faith produces perseverance. God is actually in control of our testing. It's hard to come to terms with. It's hard to come to terms with as you're going through battles, as you're going through when no one sees behind a smile on your face, no one sees into your world, no one sees the heartache that you carry. It's hard to see that God's in control. It's hard through those times when you go, why God? To say, I trust you. See, as he's increasing the fire as a, in my life, until my life becomes liquid like gold, he can't remove the impurities out of it. So he's sitting around my life and he's allowing circumstances, allowing people to come along and they say things and they hurt you. They say another thing. And they hurt you again. And God says, are you listening? Are you willing to bring it back to the cross to surrender? God uses each of us to take us through different types of trials. He uses circumstances to take us through testing and trials so that what he has deposited, the faith that he has put in you, he will know he can trust you with. I'm often reminded when... When, when I'm at my wit's end, God, are you there? God, are you really there? Because going through testing times, it's quiet. Until you yield, until you surrender, God is exceptionally quiet. Because the circumstances keep building. Because God has got to allow the circumstances in our life to keep building and the fire to increase. So that in our lives we come to that place where we give up. Where we say, God, it's ready and I'm time to surrender. It's time I'm letting go. I'm letting go of control of my own desires. I'm letting go of what I desire. And this is the whole process of testing. God is not here wanting to hurt you. Even though the going through testing is very painful, he's not. He's not wanting to hurt you. He's wanting to bring life into your life. He's wanting to change your mindsets, the way that you've been brought up, the fear that you carry. The, but the only way is to allow the pressure to become so great that you start to fall down. Over the last couple of years, we've been working on, well, it's about two and a half years ago, we, we put a membrane on the top of this roof to fix the water leaks. We're told it was going to work. We took the right advice, went through the right processes. And I remember having it all done. And it was such a great feeling because we had so many leaks in this building. 
But then over the next 18 months, the membrane that was supposed to work kept on coming up with faults. And every time it would rain, I would shudder and think, okay, is it going to leak? Because every week we had the contractor that we'd engaged in would actually come in and he would assess it. He would look and he would provide different solutions to the issues that we were facing with, with the roof up here. Week after week, it would rain. I'd come in here, there were drips. We were still leaking inside. Every week when it would rain, I'd be terrified. I'd walk in and I'd go, oh, I don't want to see. I don't want to be here today. Week in, week out, it starts to get down on you. You come in and you start to have a look on the outside of the building and you can see all the white stains because the, the roof is actually still leaking. And through that process, it may not seem much to you, but every time I would drive around the front of the building and drive down Murray Street, the words fire would come. And engraved in the side of the building, I would see fire. I had done a lot in my, in my own strength. Thought we had done the right thing when we had. In December early this year, or it was December last year, coming into January, I was so fed up with it because when it's constant, when you constantly see failure in your life, when you constantly see and, you're, and in your mind you look at something and you say, I've failed, what have we done? It gets really large in your mind and you start to believe the thoughts that go around in your thinking. And so finally in January, I got so sick of it, I was yelling at God. I was complaining to him. And he said these words, why don't you just let go? Profound. Let go. Let go of what? I have. No, you're still controlling it. <laughs> no, I'm not. And this is the dialogue with God. Maybe you're different, but I have a very good dialogue with God. I argue with him and I always lose. <laughs> it takes a while, but I eventually lose. And God said, let go. Let me handle it. Finally, after about two weeks of arguing with God, because I thought I'd already let go, because I thought I'd already surrendered. But you see, my health was going down. You see, my mental state was being affected. I was going down in the depths of depression. I was going down. I'd already struggling with, with thoughts of failure. When something that takes you down and keeps on taking you down, because it's just one element that, that I could see myself as a failure as, God said, let go. And it was in my brokenness that I finally let go. And I said, God, I surrender. And in those words, what I think, I think God had put enough fire in my life that he'd softened me. And it was at that time, the next day, I get a phone call from the contractor to say, we've got another option. I'm bringing another expert. And please note, this is not at our cost. This is all at the contractor's cost. I have no idea how much he's spent. But he's a man of integrity. And then went a process over the, next, over the last couple of months of seeing him come back and say, this is what we're going to do. We've got a new product and we're going to install it. It's all on us. The cost is going to be all on us. But as I let go, 
I let go of my control over the situation. You see, I came into a place of rest with God and he said, I have it in the control, in the palm of my hands. But it took years. It took probably 18 months for God to get me to a place of saying, God, I trust you. God, I'm willing to listen. See, behind a smiling face, you don't know what's going on. Behind a smile hides a lot of pain. You can hide a lot. But this is why God, in his goodness, knows that we have to go through this pain for us to let go. All it was was God saying, I want to take control of your life. I want to take areas that I know that you have control over your life and I want to bring you into a set of circumstances that you'll actually let go. Stubbornness. God's working on it in me. It's not a fruit of the Spirit. It's who I am. But God's changing me. Continues on in Peter Chapter 4, verse 12. Don't put it up yet, Ben. In the NIV, it says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come onto you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. I love it how the message says it. Thanks, Ben. It says, Friends, when life gets really difficult, don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. Don't jump to the conclusion that God isn't on the job. He was on the job the whole time, but he's working on me. He is taking me through circumstances that he is changing me. He's on the job. He says he will never leave me. He will says he will never forsake me. I can tell you, man... That's only one of the things that I was facing at the time. And I'm thinking, that's one of the small things. But God was doing something in my life. And he's doing something in our lives that he takes us through pain and suffering. But it's for his glory. It's for us to let go and for us to surrender and say, God, I, okay, I'm willing to let go. Because if you'd asked me before that, are you surrendered? I'd say, yeah. Not reality. But God saw that. God in his goodness, he is good to me. He doesn't want to leave me the same. You see, I know that going through trials and tests, it's for my benefit. And I know that in the midst of those trials and tests, that God loves me. How do I know that? Because his word says it. And I trust his word. Sometimes. Sometimes. Come on. Oh, there's a lot of laughter. We do. Sometimes. John 10, 27 to 30 says these words. This is a great comfort from God. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. They follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand 
the refiner. He's got you in the palm of his hand. He's watching. He sees the pain, but he knows what's ahead. He knows the peace that you'll step into. He knows that as you surrender, that you're going to enter into perfect peace. You're going to enter into a place where I feel rested, where I can just relax, and I can be in a place where, God, okay, God, you are actually starting to get into control of my life. I love it. goes on, he says, My Father who has given them to me, given you and me to God, to Jesus, is greater than all. When I want to quit, those words come back to haunt me. When I want to run from God, I know that he's going to do everything that he, that he has to to bring me back into alignment with him. And it says, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. Oh, when you're going through trials, when you're going facing, when you think your life's over, let me tell you, those words are comforting. They bring great comfort to you. There is something to hold on to that. There is something of a revelation that, you know what, God is actually in control. I'm facing hell, but heaven is in me. Say it again, I'm facing hell, but oh, heaven surrounds me. I'm facing hell, but heaven is in me. And as I draw this to a conclusion, no matter what you are facing, no matter, no matter what you are going through, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Because it's in the brokenness when no one else sees. When you're at home, when you're trying to hide, when you're feeling utter hopeless, hopeless beyond what is there to life? And you go into the depths of depression. You go into the depths of hopelessness. He's still there with you. He is there with you. Hebrews 13, verse 5, says, I will never fail you. And the word that I love next is, I will never abandon you. You see, when hell is happening and you're looking at your life and you say, I'm finished, God says, I'm with you. I can see the pain. You can't hear, you may not be able to hear my voice, but God says, I'm with you and I'm walking through the testing period and I'm refining you. No one here likes going through testing. No one. I hate the pain. But the pain is necessary to draw me closer into the presence of God. So that I can look to Jesus. So I can look into his face and say, God, I'm hopeless. Help. And sometimes the only words that I've been able to utter has been, God, I need help. And when you get to a lower point, you say, help. If you're there, 
God's promise is that he will never leave you and never forsake you. That's a promise that we can hang on to, no matter what you're going through. I'd like to invite you to close your eyes. And this morning, as I've been speaking, you've been hearing about trials, you've been hearing about testing. I'm here to tell you that there is a, a person named Jesus that we've been speaking about this morning that went to the cross 2,000 years ago and paid for our sins. He loves us so much. He wants to walk with us day by day. He wants to care for us. And if you've never had an encounter with this Jesus, it's very simple. He just says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that I'm the Christ. And you will be born again. And I want to put out an invitation to you this morning that if that's where you find your place, you've never had a relationship with Jesus and you sense the hopelessness and the emptiness inside you because that's, that's where I come from. That's what took me out of my old life. And if that's you and you want to respond and you want to say, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I just want to invite you to raise your hand right across this auditorium. If that's you, no matter what we're going through, no matter what we face, keep your eyes fixed on God because He is taking you. He is in total control. He knows exactly where you are. And I want to pray for you all this morning. No matter where you find you in whatever situation you find yourself, look to God. There is hope found in God. Father, I pray for every situation across our auditorium, Lord. Lord, I pray that God, hope will arise. I pray that God, as God, as you, as, as, as we grasp and we see that, God, you are in control, that you do have our hands and our lives in your hand. Lord, I pray that, God, that's, that revelation of hope, God, will flood all of our minds, Lord, right across every situation that you know, that we don't know, but behind the smiles, behind the faces, God, only you can reach down and you can touch the brokenness. Only you can reach down and restore and bring healing and restoration. And Lord, through the time of difficulties, I pray that God, hope will increase, God. That your love will just surround and it will infl- in, impact every part of our lives, God. Lord, I just thank you for what you're doing. Bless your people this morning. In Jesus' name.